and welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we are back in the studio and our co-host Tal is here and we've invited Doug Webster to talk about a fun topic. We'll be talking about the differences between risk management and enterprise risk management. And we'll uh, throw in internal controls for good measure. So it's an animated discussion here. I uh, hope you listen in and give us your opinion on what you think the differences are. Send me an email. And maybe we'll have another podcast topic to discuss soon. So here we go. And let's listen to the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. All right, so today we have one of our favorite returning guests, uh, Doug Webster is here. So hello, Doug, how are you doing today? I'm well, and thank you for the invitation. Welcome, glad to be here, brother. And we have Tal, our uh, co-host. How's it going, Tal? I'm doing, I'm feeling a little sad. I, I'm feeling a little hurt, because when you said our favorite returning guest, I thought you were going to say me, the co-host. <laughs> well, you're not a guest, you're a host. <laughs> All right. So, no, I think today will be a fun discussion. We're going to kind of get into uh, some definitions of terms, a little history, and I think Doug is great for this. So ostensibly speaking, we wanted to discuss what, you know, what really is the difference between when somebody says risk management versus enterprise risk management, you know, it's not just the E, right? There's more to more differences than that. Um, and, you know, we'll throw internal controls in there too, because these are the three uh, subjects that we all talk about quite a lot. So maybe we'd start off, Doug, you want to give us a little bit of uh, history here of those terms as, as you see it? Yeah, I'd be pleased to, and, and thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, unfortunately, too many folks use these terms without understanding the history, which is important to understand the context with which we're using these terms. So to, to think about risk management, uh, you can do research on the history of risk management, and you'll find all kinds of sources uh, identifying different origins and so on and they don't all dis, uh, they don't all agree i i will say just thinking about it very loosely if you will man understanding risk is as old as mankind uh, you you can think of the caveman going out and hunting or something and and there was some uncertainty some danger and so on and he or she wanted to take the appropriate actions to manage that risk. Now, they didn't have a term for it, I'm guessing, mm. but the, the, the concept was nevertheless there. Now, the concept became more formalized thousands of years ago, going back to uh, Samaria and um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and uh, et cetera in, uh, in Babylon. Uh, there was examples of charging interest rates on shipping that were dependent upon the route that was being taken, which was associated with the riskiness of that route. So right. the concept's been around us for many years. Uh, it became more formalized uh, when we began to offer insurance back in around the 1600s uh, and so on. Um, while it started, uh, fire insurance started in Germany. Uh, a good example of it was after the Great Fire of London, uh, insurance companies began to, to spring up there. And, and it's matured over the years. Probably the first formal development of risk management was right after World War II. And that was initially focused on insurance. So there we're talking about riskiness in terms of probability and how that impacts rates and those kinds of things. 
But it wasn't until 1963 that two professors published the very first risk management textbook. And this book proposed managing risk comprehensively, and this is a quote, to maximize productive efficiency of the enterprise. So they weren't really talking about enterprise risk management, but at least within this book, they were always already thinking about the concept of applying risk across the enterprise. Mm-hmm. And financial risk management began to develop further in the 70s. And then in 1995, Australia and New Zealand Standard 4360 became the world's first risk management standard. And that later became the basis for ISO 31000. So that's risk management. Mm-hmm. The history of internal controls also goes back very far. Uh, an example that's been cited has been the pharaohs in Egypt, where they had one set of folks that were collecting taxes and another set of folks that were overseeing those individuals that were collecting taxes. So one can say those were, mm. in essence, internal controls. Oh, yeah. But more formally, it wasn't until 1949 the American Institute of Accountants, which is now AICPA, uh, formally defined internal controls, and I'll quote, Internal control comprises the plan of organization and all the coordinate methods and measures adopted within a business to safeguard its assets, check the accuracy and reliability of its accounting data, promote operational efficiency, and encourage adherence to prescribed managerial policies. Mm. That's a mouthful. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But keep in mind, this internal controls came out of the community that was focused on accounting and auditing. Yeah. That's a fairly specific community, vastly narrower than those who are concerned about risk in general. Uh, and in 1992, as many folks know, COSO defined uh, internal controls more formally, and it was uh, defined as a process affected by an entity's board of directors, management, and other personnel designed to provide reasonable assurance regarding the achievement of objectives, and I'll, I'll emphasize here, relating to operations, reporting, and compliance. Those are important, but they're not the whole scope of what we have to worry about in day-to-day business life. Hmm. So we talked about risk. We talked about internal controls. Now, what about enterprise risk management? Well, the very first articulation was actually a pictorial articulation, a, a diagram that was developed by Gustav Hamilton back in 1974, and it was called the Circle of Risk. And it showed a circle, uh, and the segments of the circle were different elements of risk as they related to an organization or an enterprise. So and that was sort of the first articulation of the, the, very, the, the basic concept. And then the first book to express the key principles of ERM uh, came out in 1992, It was called A Framework for Integrated Risk Management in International Business by Kent Miller. In 1993, James Lamb became the first chief risk officer. In 1996, the first report in a journal on enterprise risk management was authored. 2004, COSO ERM Framework came out. Same year, federal student aid, uh, a significant part of the Department of Education, hires its first federal chief risk officer. 2006, Federal Student Aid establishes the first federal enterprise risk management program. Uh, 2008, um, I actually introduced ERM over to some folks at OMB, but they didn't show any particular interest at that time, unfortunately. So we went ahead, uh, I and some other folks in the federal government at the time, I was serving as a CFO of the Department of Labor. Mm -hmm. We put together uh, an ad hoc group of senior executives across federal government called the 
Federal ERM Steering Group, and we put on the very first summit that year that has happened every year since. And in 2008, we transitioned that organization into a formal 501c3 uh, called AFFIRM, the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management. Yeah, who was on that? Wasn't it you, Sally Ann? Who was on oh, that? boy, uh, I'm going to embarrass myself I, if I don't get everybody. Yeah, but sorry. It was it's on the uh, spot. Sally Ann, <laughs> uh, myself, um, uh, Karen Hardy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Stan Dorr. Um, so wasn't he the uh, education? He was the chief risk officer at FSA. FSA, yep, yes. there, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And there were, uh, I believe, a couple, a couple other folks. Yeah. And I apologize for not recalling offhand uh, who they were. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, as we all know, uh, OMB included ERM and A11 in 2015. Actually, in 2014, I and Tom Stanton co-edited a book with, uh, and I authored the last chapter in which I made a number of recommendations, and one of which was to put uh, ERM into A11. And the reason I did that was because to get anyone's attention in this town, uh, in the federal government, you got to tie it to budget. Hmm. And so that was the document to put it, and then the next year OMB came out with ERM in A11. And then in, a, in 2016, it was expanded into OMB A123, and, and we probably, most of us, know the history since then. So uh, while that is a little bit long, I think it's relevant to getting an understanding of where these different terms evolve from, mm-hmm. risk management, internal controls, and enterprise risk management. Because whoever controls the definitions controls the conversation. That's certainly in true, but if you... It's not just that. I mean, it, it, what you say is actually correct, but it confuses the conversation because people come at this with different mindsets as to what the word means. And far too often, we end up talking past each other. Yeah. Because you use the word one way, and I'm thinking something exactly. different than you intend. Well, but, and Tal, talk about, I mean, when you started doing this stuff at Federal Trade Commission, I think, so it wasn't one of the first things, the terminology, getting the terminology straight like for ERM? I mean, what? What do these different terms mean? Because like you said, everything was confusing to people. And, and you can have, not everybody has to have the same lexicon, but yeah. but if you're in a conversation, you need to have the same lexicon. Yeah. And then as the, you know, as things mature across a broader group, then you want that lexicon to become broader and broader so that the conversation is more about substance and less about definitions, right. that the definitions support it. Because you really can't have a conversation about a thing unless you have a name for that thing. Otherwise, the, the conversation just gets convoluted. And I th- who is it? Uh, the former firm president talks about his 45-minute his, uh, discussion with the administrator of VA about what is the definition of risk. Mm. Really? Uh, and who had that conversation? Oh, I, it was a couple presidents back. Oh, Todd, okay. Todd Graham. Could have been, yeah. Yeah, the, that was one of his stories. Forty-five minutes just on the on definition of risk. What is risk? Really? Arg- I, arguing yeah. about what is risk? I didn't recall that. Okay, <laughs> right. So you know, the definitions are certainly the starting point for anything. You know, yeah, significant or well, actually, you're you're a step ahead if you understand you have a difference of opinion because you can at least discuss it. The, what, right. What's most dangerous is when you don't even recognize that and you're thinking different things. And, and a joke past. I sometimes like to use, yeah. and I'll, I'll sort of share it now, is is. Uh, is one for the military term of 
uh, secure the building. And I don't right. know if you've heard this before, but I'll go through it real quickly yeah. for the sake of the audience. And that is, uh, as the joke goes, the Navy, when you tell them to secure the building, they pick up all the classified, they lock it away, they turn out the lights, they lock the door, the building's secure. In the Army, they put up concertina wire around the building, set up the fancy fields of fire, et cetera, and they've got the building secure. Of course, any Marine would tell you that it means you're going to set up assault teams to take over the building. (laughs) But I can get away telling this joke, having retired from the Air Force, is that in the Air Force, it means that you're going to take out a three-year lease with an option to buy. Well, (laughs) all of those means secure the building. But if you're just talking to another person, say, I'm going to secure the building, they can have a valid definition that's completely different than yours. Right. So, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and this internal control thing, I mean, the fact that it came out A123 – to me, confuse things because I, you know, I remember Stan and Cynthia over at FSA when they first started this. They weren't. They were thinking about. I think to me, true enterprise risk management. Everything. It's not just the internal controls or just the financial operations. It was a very broad, you know, interpretation. That to me was always ERM. And when I saw E one twenty three come out, it was like, oh, now we're kind of now how changing do you, things. I don't know. How are you saying thinking that a one twenty three differs from that? I'm, I just think it focuses on internal control more than any the other aspects of ERM. That's well, to me, but that's well. I think here's the danger: the title talks about it includes the words internal control, sure, but it's not. It should not be interpreted that the entire document is is exclusively yeah. on internal. Excuse yeah. me, uh, exclusively ERM. The title includes ERM, yeah, but that doesn't mean the document is exclusively focused on ERM. So there's a lot in there that has yeah. little or nothing to do with ERM, but there is a piece in there. There is a piece in there. That's true. ERM. That's true. I just feel like combining them like that was that is that like the best way to get a agency to start a program, or is it a different like I don't know. ERM. Well, the A123 program, even though it's supposed to be broad across the entire organization and be in the operating programs and be focused on mission and mission support stuff. 90% of the activity, when people are honest and admit it, really happens all in the CFO office yeah. regarding financial processes. It's right. not so much about operations. And you know, yep. that's a shame um, because that is why we have mission support and finance programs is to help the mission occur. But when we stuck it into A123, it certainly had a, a, a flavor of limiting its application. Right. Yeah, that's my yep. feeling too, but – Either way, not derailing the conversation or anything. <laughs> so, yeah, why don't we go back then? So, you know, we've kind of talked about the three definitions, at least as we understand them here. You know, maybe you want to get a little deeper in to kind of compare them to each other. I mean, I think that's important because yeah. you can hear the definitions, but until you hear the differences, it's sometimes they don't really, you, know, you don't fully appreciate uh, what the implications of those definitions are. In my mind, I simplify the distinction between internal controls, and risk management as simply internal controls or actions that you can and probably should take to manage the risk associated with business processes, Mm. okay? But that having been said, the world is more than just simply executing business processes. Mm -hmm. We can have risks in the future of things that we want to do someday, and we're trying to decide which path we're going to take but we have yet to set in place the process to get us there. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to apply internal controls to. But that doesn't mean we don't want to be considering the risks associated with choosing one path versus another. And so, you know, you're going to oftentimes, almost always, think about or should be thinking about risks before you get to the point that you can consider implementing internal controls. The other aspect of this 
is that internal controls are things that we do in our organization to manage risk of business processes in our present world. But the world around us is always changing, and the external environment is always changing, and that can impact you in your organization, what you do, and you can't control that external environment. So we need to be thinking proactively about where's, where are things headed in the outside world that could impact us inside our organization, and what do we need to be doing proactively to prepare for those changes? Those are not business process risks until right. we set in place revised processes to deal with expected futures. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's where the E starts coming in to the ERM, right? I mean, that's the whole all the external factors. Seems like you know risk management is very focused on a specific thing, maybe that you're doing right now. That, you know, insurance as a subject or whatever as a subject. Well, let me make sure we're clear uh, what I'm saying. I'm mm-hmm. not, what I'm talking about there is that's risk management, not enterprise risk management. That's right. Yeah, just yeah, risk because, management. That's yeah, yeah. Right. Because Agreed. the uh, the ex- risk management deals with external risks as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So. Yeah, so let's go to that next level. I mean, now, what really does differentiate the enterprise risk management definition versus just risk management? Sure. Enterprise risk management, as it was initially postulated, was the notion that we should do more than simply manage risks within functional or programmatic silos. The traditional approach to risk management is you got folks worried about, for example, interest rates in the banking environment or uh, loan defaults, and those kinds of things. And then you worry about physical security in your, your bank branches, et cetera. What we need to be doing is backing out of those localized, focused areas and not eliminating them and continuing to pursue them, but then looking at a broader perspective, do they interrelate? And we all have limited resources to deal with the cost of risk and managing that risk. How do we allocate those resources appropriately so that we're managing risk for the benefit of the enterprise, not for the benefit of the silo? Because it may be that in some cases you're forced to choose where you're going to allocate resources, and you may intentionally sub-optimize in one area of the organization because that allows you to do more in another area or organization, and that's for the benefit of the enterprise as a whole. So ERM is simply taking a step back from looking at the silos of risk management and programs and functions and saying, once we've done that as our initial step, the next step is how do we optimize those cross-functional, cross-programmatic trade-offs as it comes to managing risk? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, I mean that's the whole point. It's, it's a higher level function here. We're not just stuck in our own little worldview, our little silo. This is a... I mean, would you say it's a silo versus a portfolio view? I, I was just going to bring that up. That word portfolio that mm. you brought up, and thank you for that, is a critical term because it's, you know, we in our retirement accounts for investments and so on, hopefully anyone who's putting money aside for retirement is not focused in isolated investments. When they do that, they step back and say, what's the portfolio that I've got that's going to be in my best interest given how long I've got to to have it build up and the risk I'm willing to accept and so on. And typically as you get older, you move somewhat out of stocks and more into bonds because you're lowering the risk and so on. But when you're making those decisions, you're looking at the portfolio of investments you have. You're not looking at any simply any one individual investment. And what we're talking about in enterprise risk management 
is understanding all of the key risks in the organization and ensuring how we balance the risks and the acceptance and the trade-offs and the treatments, et cetera, works for the enterprise as a whole. Yeah, and back to, you know, if you are just kind of focused on your on your particular silo, you know, are you really thinking about impacts, you know, across the organization, right? I mean, what's, you know, what's – somebody has to be at a higher level to really do, do that assessment, I mean, right? I mean – Well, yeah. I think where we're getting here, too, is that the mission – the, the entity doesn't always exist for the pieces of the entity, especially in a government. The, the entity exists for something that's broader mm-hmm. for yes. a community purpose. And, uh, you know, when I, in my younger days, remember reading through a study where, you know, like in the Coast Guard, it was all about search and rescue as one of the major missions. We exist to, to take care of mariners at sea. Well, back in the day when uh, all our out islands were remote places, you had to build. You had to build a place to keep the boats because there wasn't anything else out there. They're a bunch of scrub brush now. You know they're the outer banks. They're Provincetown, and everything's all built up everywhere. And the resources were going into uh, support boat stations, and a lot of effort then became into the infrastructure. When what they really wanted was a SAR response capability, which was now you know a much smaller part of the overall program because the environment changed, and and now the the organization spending quite a bit of time taking care of infrastructure that 100 years ago was absolutely needed, mm. but now there's a marina everywhere. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to deliver a boat, do you really need the infrastructure? Maybe you just need to deliver the boat, and the, the infrastructure now exists commercially. But the idea of you know the mission, focusing on the risk of the mission, uh, not – not the risk management side, which is what are the what are the organizational elements we created to do that mission? Because the environment changed, maybe we don't need to do it that way. We don't need those organizational elements as much as we need the service delivery or or the way we achieve that mission for the entity. Right. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's why you, know, you see ERM, you know, strategy. These pieces are so important. The budget tying it all together for federal. You know, this is how we did it today. What are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing five years from now? How's that going to change our portfolio of risk to accomplish these missions that we've we set out to do? Right? I mean, it's like that. that this, I mean, ERM to me is that holistic. You know, you're really thinking about the strategy, the future, how to get there. You know, what's going to affect our our budgets, our our actually accomplishing these missions that change over time, as Tal is basically saying right there. Right. And and another point that I'd like to I guess raise on ERM is. It's both side to side and up and down. So mm. what, I, what do I mean by that? I've, I've talked about the need to integrate horizontally across the organization, different functions, programs, and so on. But I also argue for the point that if you're looking at risks only at the top of the organization and you're not communicating down to the lower levels of the organization of what that means and what they need to do differently and getting feedback from the bottom and rolling up and so on, you're not truly integrating vertically across the organization. And there's always then the risk that you set some direction uh, at an executive level that cannot be effectively executed by those who ultimately have to deliver at the bottom of the organization. So it's essential that there's this communication up and down the organization that, that, that folks understand what the objectives are at the highest level as they cascade down to what it means to me as an individual working day-to-day what I have to do, and how my capabilities roll up along with all my peers so that the executives understand what I can deliver 
in support of their objectives. That's this two-way communication. And at each step in this vertical back and forth, there are different levels of risk, sub-risk, sub-sub-risk, and so on. Mm -hmm. And so enterprise risk management needs to set up a governance structure that not only works horizontally to bring together risks across the organization, but also rolls up and down and cascades down as necessary, uh, transmittal of what those risks are and how they're going to be treated and so on. Too many organizations today are fearful of sharing those risks, and they keep it constrained at the executive level. Mm -hmm. And you cannot have effective risk management if it's constrained within the walls of the board or the directors. I mean, that's, and isn't that one of the hardest things to actually execute in practice? I mean, to get that information from the bottom levels of the vertical, so to speak. I mean, it's almost like you got to be a whistleblower to bring up some issue, and nobody wants to do that. You know, it's like it seems like a very difficult thing in practice to do. Well, and that comes to the culture of the organization, mm-hmm. and whether you treat somebody sharing a risk as blowing a whistle, yeah. or whether you treat them as contributing to getting the job done that you ultimately need to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think people that are whistleblowers are usually pretty frustrated about something, and it's a pretty significant problem, right? And that probably is because they don't have a vehicle to share concerns and risks, et cetera. And and get actions taken on those concerns, too, right? right? Right. So that's a huge culture. Because the line outside the executive's door is very long for good (laughs) news. Right. Very, very, very short for bad news. Yes. Uh, I can attest to that. Well, speaking of enterprise, a couple more subjects I want to ask you about, just get your opinion. So, you know, what what is the defini- definition of an enterprise? I mean, we talk about, is it a federal agency? Is it a subcomponent of an agency? I mean, DOD is huge. How can you manage that enterprise with one program? I'm glad you asked. That's an yeah. important question because in my view, the word enterprise is relative. And mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? If we were to do enterprise risk management as Department of Defense, and I'll pick them only because they're the largest federal agency. Does that mean we can't do ERM unless we do it for the entire Department of Defense? What if we wanted to do it for just the Army? Mm -hmm. What if we wanted to do it for just a major command within the Army? What if we wanted to do it just for a particular military base within the Army? My argument is that the term ERM is relative. It's anything that's large enough that will benefit from this integrated approach to managing risks. So I used to be, uh, years ago, a small business owner, and I had a staff of a uh, retail business. I had a staff of about 25 people. I could do enterprise risk management sitting around the lunch table. You know, I, di- I didn't need a formal governance structure and so on. And in a very small organization, you can do that. Mm-hmm. So if you want to call it risk manage- uh, enterprise risk management, so be it. But once you get to a large organization, that's where these, these stovepipes begin to develop. Uh, these silos, if you will. And that's when it becomes much more important to have a formal enterprise risk management program to break through those silos. Yeah, and again, I mean, that's, well, I mean, and yeah, even DOD, I mean, like you said, Army, all those can really just be considered their own, and they, they probably have some huge subset of enterprises within them that need, Absolutely. That, you know, keeps going So down. enterprise is a, is a relative term to me. Yeah. It doesn't mean the absolute largest uh, boundaries of the organization. Right. And, and what's more, if you are in one of those sub-elements, but large enough to benefit from ERM, ideally, you can show the value of ERM so that your peers and other parts of the organization begin to look at how you're managing risks, and you become, become a proponent and, and a facilitator of ERM outside your part of the organization. Right. 
So I had a couple other ones, uh, areas I want to talk to you about here. Um, I think we had talked before about this concept of the white space on the org chart. Can you tell us what that means and uh, the, kind of the enterprise risk management aspects of that? Sure. That comes from a, a book by Rumbler and Brosh a number of years ago that talked about managing risk in the white space. And what they were referring to is that part on an organizational chart that doesn't fit within one of the defined blocks. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? It means that things can happen in an organization that aren't the direct responsibility of any one particular manager. Yeah. They're either collective across right. the organization or there's something that comes up that has never been thought of before and were never previously assigned to any one particular person. And so enterprise risk management is about understanding risks across the enterprise without regard to the restrictions imposed by any organizational element Mm -hmm. responsibility. Mm -hmm. So when I think about ERM, it is, as we've already talked about, integrating the silos. And and let me expand on that slide, because when we talk about integrating risk with silos, it is understanding not only how am I managing a risk and part of my silo, but when I treat that, am I creating new risks for somebody else? Mm. So let's say, for example, I'm the CIO, and I want to really tighten up on cybersecurity, which in this day and age is very important. But if I ignore the impacts on others in terms of getting their job done with the IT that I deliver to them, then I'm not necessarily making the best decision for the benefit of the enterprise. Now, I'm not suggesting not to to pay attention to cybersecurity. What I am suggesting is you need to step back and look at the bigger picture and come up with a solution that benefits everybody. Like the the privacy officers across the agencies now have similar issues because they're they're a risk officer, and their job is to know where the risks are. And uh, by golly, if you can constrain access to data – you can definitely you can put it in the vault, lock it up, and you can be a highly successful privacy officer from one side of the job while, while self-optimizing the ability of people to get information and, and run the business. Excellent example. Yes. And See, now CIOs are having the similar issues with, with the systems and interoperability and interfacing and, and data and moving data around within the systems. Those two are, right. you know, those two are really similar that way. So it's that integration of the... The silos, mm-hmm. which are the blocks on the organization chart, but including that, the things that are not within the blocks, that white space. Yeah. And it's not just the risk, but the understanding the impacts of the treatment of the ri- proposed treatments of the risk as well. So you don't optimize one piece of the organization while sub-optimizing the, the entire organization. And that right there is the difference between risk management and enterprise risk management. Hey, you solved it. <laughs> well, speaking of that, so I think the last one here, uh, time-wise, I wanted to um, get your thoughts. Again, back to, you know, how do we talk about risk management versus ERM? Are we all kind of on the same page with the terminology? You know, I mean, have you seen out there in the world just any papers or guidance or reports that people use these terms interchangeably? and Or are they kind of, you know, I don't know, what, what's going on out there in the world? What should we do about it? This is a concern of mine because too many folks, and I'll just say folks that should be in a position that influence agencies. So you, without naming organizations, yep. you can you know just say there are those elements of the federal government that have broad influence across agencies. It's critically important that they understand 
the difference between risk management and enterprise risk management and internal controls and stay true to those differences and definitions. Because even if they understand the difference, if they, if they talk about these words in too loose of a term, it adds to confusion to the reader. So I have, for example, seen reports where an element of the report is titled Enterprise Risk Management. But within that section titled Enterprise Risk Management, they include discussions of very specific risks that are not having anything to do with enterprise risk management, such as a fraud mm. risk mm. found at a particular agency. Well, I'm not going to suggest that fraud risk is not important. I am going to suggest, however, that in isolation, it's not part of enterprise risk management. It's not until you talk about how fraud risk needs to be balanced or considered with other types of risk for the benefit of the overall organization that it becomes yeah. important. Yes, I mean, the cyber example is a good one, right? I mean, yes. we're trying to stop these hackers from pulling all our data, but then, you know, the uh, the agency puts in a super restrictive policy that you can't do your regular job anymore because the system's locked down, uh, right? And, and I don't know how many, you know, other feds are out there that are listening to this, but <laughs> network performance, just logging on, using basic applications, they, they're getting slower and slower, and a lot of that, uh, you know, Simple crashes on stuff that Excel ought to be able to do. A lot of that has to do with the safety and the security mm-hmm. pieces that are on the network now that that have changed that. Right. And it's like, well, I, I can't. I almost can't do it on my on my network. I need to get out my personal laptop where I have some processing speed anymore to get something done where the application can fulfill. But it's that's you know that's those sub optimizations. Yeah, focusing on that one individual risk versus the holistic, you know, the impact to others, right? Right. And yep. I, overall performance. Overall performance, yeah. And I'm not in a position to judge who's right or wrong there. Right. It's just Me that either. you need to ask the questions and consider the implications. Yeah, it's interesting because, like you said, I mean, if somebody did a report and said, here's all your ERM issues, and they say this particular fraud's very specific thing, you know, maybe you're, oh, that's, that is an enterprise thing. we got to really focus on this one little fraud area, maybe, at you know, not to the benefit of the rest, the, the balanced portfolio. Sort of and, and as another example, when I, I hear organizations and individuals sometimes talking about ERM and citing, for example, the Green Book. Mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. the Green Book is critically important for internal controls. But as we talked about in our sort of our history discussion at the beginning, internal controls were developed as a concept before inter- anyone ever thought of enterprise risk management. Sure. So internal controls and thus the Green Book were not developed specifically to support enterprise risk management. Managing internal control risk is an element of managing risk, which needs to be done for a successful ERM program. But that's the extent of it. And to Mm. cite the Green Book, for example, as a source for understanding ERM is something that I don't understand. Uh, In ERM, there's a lot of risk management activities at the enterprise level. So yes. I think I it, so in my opinion there's the four standards on risk one of them is fraud so okay now we're down to three standards that talk about the risk management cycle that the standards on the risk management cycle are part of the part of the ERM risk management cycle too with a different perspective on what is the objective how is risk tolerance applied to the entity's objectives what is the risk appetite at the entity level for the entity objectives so, like, that's standard one in a nutshell. But this sort of brings up a concern of mine, and that is that we think of ERM, and I'll go back to this COSO picture of the diagram that's been carried over into A123 that shows internal controls is a subset of risk management that is a subset of enterprise risk management. 
And it suggests that anytime you're talking about risk management, you're by definition talking about a piece of enterprise risk management. Mm. Well, that suggests that the definition of ERM is anything that happens in the enterprise with regards to ERM. But that is not my point of view. My point of view is ERM is much more focused on developing that portfolio view, Mm -hmm. making it a subset of the larger discussion of risk management. I totally agree with that, Doug. And and Mm -hmm. so internal controls is absolutely an element of risk management, but it is not necessarily an element of ERM. And and, and, and I'm all good with everything you said, total agreement with the standards in the green book for risk management. Like, let's take that first standard. Well, for internal controls. Uh, internal controls of the federal government, that is, that is the title that they, the that they have right, on the right. Green Book, right? right. That on the standard for risk management, the first part is setting objectives, that there's clear measurable objectives for the unit for which you're going to do risk right. management. Right. Every, every ERM program, if we do not know what is the entity's objective. Oh, those are the, those, th- that is true. And, and then what is our risk tolerance for our entity's performance to meet that objective? That's also but very the important. context of the, of the green book is focused on business processes. Oh, agreed, I agree, and that's much narrower than the, the overall scope of risk management. Right. Out of the seventeen principles, only three of them deal with the risk management cycle. What are the key elements of pieces that, if it's not there, that would be problematic? Because the other two, one is the is the uh, risk analysis, and the other one is the risk monitoring and reporting. Mm-hmm. Th- those are key pieces. That if you have an ERM program, you don't have uh, you don't have a some rigor to how it is that you identify, state, analyze, and then uh, and and how you do that piece of that risk management cycle at the enterprise level. If you don't have those pieces, then that, it's going to be a difficult process because now. We're back to, you know, what is the definition of a risk and what's the definition of impact and likelihood and how are we going to measure it? And if we don't have those pieces in it that are rigorous enough to support good conversations at the enterprise level, that would be problematic, I think. Agreed. But there is a distinction between process steps and the scope of which we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. Agreed. And the scope is not necessarily enterprise versus some piece of the enterprise. The scope that I'm talking about is business processes versus risks beyond business processes, about the future, about the external environment over which we can't put internal controls, et cetera. Well, you know, I... I hope, hope you don't mind, you know, just taking this another step. I agree that the Green Book's largely about processes. However, the first, I don't know, seven standards are all about the entity. And how is the entity composed and comprised such that it is a functional and an effective piece of uh, organization that can, that can even focus and and uh, perform towards meeting its goals? That's- so, so there's a big chunk of of the green book that is above the process level. Cause then the green book also has a transaction level set too. I, I guess I would take a different uh, view on that. Okay. Be- because even though you're talking about what you just said, it's with, it's within the set of internal controls and going back to the definition of internal controls. Yeah. It's operations, it's et cetera. We already, we, I yeah. can't, it, it is focused. It yeah. is focused on performance. So, yep. So everything in that green book, in my view, is limited by the scope of what we mean, but but what 
what the accounting community and COSO has defined yep. as internal controls. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I, I still think there's just not a definitive great guide out there for ERM. How to? I mean, your whole programming, in my opinion. I mean, there's great internal control guidance. There's great, you know, there's or, there's COSO. There's orange well, books. There's things like that. For it, a firm, the Association for Federal yeah. Enterprise Risk Management, is currently develop uh, working on developing of something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, there was some initial discussion to call it a standard, but we felt right. that was a sending the wrong message. It's not intended as a formal standard mm-hmm. against people. But some, something a li- something a little uh, a little less fluffy than yeah, exactly. like the the playbook that OMB put out was good. It was great. Yeah. There was a lot of great stuff in there. And they said, you can do it this way, or you can do it that way, right, or right. here's a third way. <laughs> and uh, when you get into A123, when it came out with its focus on ERM, it also had some had some good had some very good pieces of clarity to the structure of of an ERM program. But once again, it it also it it wasn't like a green book for right, ERM, for ERM right. yeah. something that said standards. And standards are helpful. I mean, in, in yeah. most business, we try to come up with standards like you, you, you go with the, the COSO or with the ISO, and now people are putting it out, they're vetting it, whether it's the PMP PMBOK for project management. Anything that starts to become a standard, it certainly helps the conversation to promote the maturity yes. of, mm-hmm. of the overall profession. And while what a firm is working on is not going to be a formal standard, it is probably closer to that than it is the, the, the playbook. Right. Right. Okay. Well, no, this has been a great conversation. So, uh, yeah, anything else, Doug, you want to put out there? Any uh, any recommendations to folks that want to, you know, learn more about this? Or I think we gave them a good little education today. Uh I, I don't think anything else comes to mind I, I other than the fact that this is, to me, a critical issue that has continued and perhaps grown in the last few years. As the term ERM gets used more and more, it's it's becoming, unfortunately, a bit more loosely used, which yep. creates the issues that we've been talking about. And so I think growing sensitivity to using these terms correctly in their, their intended context mm-hmm will be very important if we want to sustain the value that ERM potentially brings. And, and well, I, I know a lot of agencies, as their programs are maturing, to put together a lexicon. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is what? So you have one, they have one, we have one. Well, why wouldn't there just at least be a lexicon? Right? If you want to talk about how we use these words to describe what we do and how we do it, that would be at the, the next higher level. But if we can't mm-hmm. have a fairly clear and homogenous set of definitions for key terms upon which all the concepts are built, Mm -hmm. then that certainly is an impediment and an obstacle to the overall profession maturing, not only, not only within an organization, but across organizations like the federal entity. Yeah, that, that is important. And what's also important is agencies such as GAO and OMB and others consistently using those terms. Con- uh, absolutely, because G- GAO has had the role as a standard setter mm-hmm. for the federal government. And while OMB is the implementer of the standard, mm-hmm. and it seems like that OMB has done what it can without 
clear GAO standards on the topic, and that's probably why they're a little looser in what they put out. And SIGI, as the auditor of the standards, mm-hmm. uh, need to also be consistently using those terms. Yeah, it'd be great the three got together and, and picked them and said, all right, w- w- <laughs> nobody has to write their own lexicon. From now on, right. use this. Right. There we go. We'll bring them on next and see if they can. <laughs> well, let's get them all. Well, thanks to you both, Tal, Doug, and uh, thanks for joining our podcast today. That's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I won't lie, nice to be back in the studio. Definitely makes it more uh, engaging, fun conversation, so I'm hoping we can do more of that sometime soon. Affirm.org is where you go to see all the podcasts. We've got podcast catchers out there. You can catch some that way, too. And as always, if you have ideas, please email and get some of your favorite topics and guests on the show for next time but until next time this is your host paul marshall signing off for brisk chats with a firm